Good afternoon and welcome to Bible Quest, the Wednesday edition. Um, we are here every Wednesday, almost every Wednesday. Occasionally something happens and we're not here, but not all of us are here today. Joe Works is not feeling well today and he's not with us. Chase Byers, as usual, is with us. Good afternoon, Chase. Good afternoon, Jeff. How are you doing today? Very good. And fortunately, we have Drew DeGrotto, who is usually behind the scenes, helping us with the technological aspects of the webcast. He is not quite with us because he's having techno technology difficulties today. Our tech guy's having tech problems. Uh, um, how about that? <laughs> but he, he may come in here shortly and join us. And we'll be glad to have him with us. We're going to be talking a little bit about prayer today. We've called the the topic today, and this is actually Joe's topic. Joe set this up, and then he's ended up not being able to be with us, but uh, I think we titled it um, The Prayers of Sinners, which sounds almost like something a lot of people hear uh, frequently, and that is the sinner's prayer. We're going to go a little different direction with it, but let's start off talking about what people mean when they say the sinner's prayer. Chase, uh, do you hear that phrase from time to time? Yeah, I hear it from every now and then. I might ask somebody that I'm having a spiritual conversation or spiritual discussion with, and I might ask them, you know, have you been saved? Have, have you been saved from your sins? And sometimes the response I might get back is, yes, I have been saved. Um, I said the sinner's prayer. Mm -hmm. And typically, whenever they say that, this or some type of form of this is normally what they mean. This is from Billy Graham. Uh, this is the sinner's prayer. If you pray, dear Lord Jesus, I know that I am a sinner, and I ask for your forgiveness. I believe you died for my sins and rose from the dead. I turn from my sins and invite you to come into my heart and life. I want to trust and follow you as my Lord and Savior. In your name, amen. Yeah, That's I typically see, what they mean. Yeah, I see tracks from time to time, or sometimes even little booklets, and it'll go through and have page after page showing the reader that, we are condemned by virtue of our sins, that we need salvation, that salvation is in Jesus Christ. And you get to the end of the book and you're, you're, you're all primed to say, okay, okay, what do we do about this? And, and you get to the last page and, it, well, just say this prayer. And it'll have a prayer very similar to the one that you have on screen there. And, and, you, to, be, and to be fair, are there some things in this prayer that are true? Sure. It says, I know that I'm a sinner. Well, you know, Paul says in Romans, the third chapter and verse 23, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. I do think, Chase, that sometimes people miss the import of that verse when he says all, the all there is contrasting just Gentiles. It's saying both Jews and Gentiles, whoever you are, whether Jew or Gentile, you stand in the same situation in need of salvation. But implicit in that is the universal experience that human beings have, that, that is that we sin and we need forgiveness. So that's something sure. that's true. Uh, what about this other part where, where they say in the prayer, I believe you died for my sins and rose from the dead. Is that, is that necessary in order that's, to be saved? Certainly, certainly. Um, so you have Jesus uh, dying for our sins. That's a fact. And he rose from the dead. Yeah. Those are true statements. Um, we need to confess that. Romans 10, 9. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So, so again, they're hitting on some correct ideas, some things that are necessary for salvation, but I believe they're missing some things. So, but when we talk about the sinner's prayer, this is typically 
um, what, what most people are familiar with. Um, we, well, as we, before we go on here, we do have Drew DeGrotto. Uh, well, I shouldn't say because it looks like he's kind of in hidden identity mode here right now. <laughs> Uh, so we have, oh, there we go. Oh, there we go. <laughs> All right. Hey, Drew, your mic's not on. Uh, now you are. Okay, good. Good to have you with us, Drew. Good to be here. I think I'm here. Sorry yeah. for that. Oh, no, it's working great now. Sure. And uh, All right. Good to have you. So Drew DeGrotto from Honesdale, Pennsylvania with us today. Um, so, J Drew, what we've done so far is we've just talked about this typical sinner's prayer that we see in a lot of little booklets and tracts in some of the messages that you hear in evangelical churches. Uh, you're a sinner. You're lost in your sins. Jesus died for you. So what do you do? Say this little sinner's prayer. So that's that's where we've gotten so far. Uh, where do you want to go from there, Chase? Well, uh, I want us to look to the New Testament and see, is, is there anybody that was a sinner praying to God? And did God hear that prayer? I think that might be a good first step. Who might you suggest us to look at? Well, I'll tell you who comes to mind is Cornelius in Acts the 10th chapter. Um, he is a man who uh, needed to be saved, and he said a prayer, right? Yeah, that's right. But did, did God answer his prayer is another question to ask. Uh, so, yes, he did. Well, how did he answer his prayer? Uh, he said, I'm going to send someone to you interesting it wasn't you're saved that's all you need to do but it, i'm going to send somebody to you who will preach words to you whereby you'll be saved so let's take a look at the story real quick yeah. acts 10 verse 1 it describes this man as uh cornelius a centurion of the band called the italian band that's significant this this story is here largely because he's a gentile and his conversion is going to open the door open the floodgates to uh, Gentiles hearing the gospel message. And there are going to be some phenomenal signs here. And those signs are going to be uh, the things that convince the Jewish believers that indeed this is God's will. So take us through the first part of the story, the vision that he sees and all of that in the first few verses, one of you. Yeah, sure. So in chapter 10, uh, in verse 1, that's where we're introduced to Cornelius. There's some important details about Cornelius that we learn. He was a centurion of the Italian cohort. Uh, verse 2, there are some good, good things about Cornelius. He was a devout man, the Bible says, and he was one who feared God with all his household. And he gave many alms to the Jewish people and prayed to God continually. So that's where we see him praying. Well, the ninth hour of the day came in, the, in, the, in verse 3. And it says that he clearly saw in a vision an angel of God who had come in and said to him, Cornelius. And so Cornelius, you know, he, he fixes his gaze on him and he's alarmed. And he, of course, he, he kind of cries out, well, what is it, Lord? And it's really interesting what this angel says to him. What, what does the angel say to Cornelius in verse four, guys? Your, answer, your, uh, your prayers and your alms have ascended as, as a memorial before God, uh, which means God heard him. God well, heard and, his prayer. Yeah. and a little bit later on, it's interesting because somebody might say, well, and I think maybe I've heard somebody say this. Well, God didn't actually hear it. it. Just the prayers went up for a memorial. But later on, when when Peter arrives at Cornelius's house and Peter gives an account of what you just read, Chase, we come down to Acts chapter 10 and verse uh, 31. And the angel said to Cornelius, according to Cornelius, thy prayer is heard and thine alms are had in remembrance in the sight of God. So here's a man who has, is, not, is not a Christian, 
but he is a devout man and he does pray and an angel comes and tells him his prayer is heard. But Drew, as you pointed out, the response isn't you're saved. The response is, and and I guess I'm going to jump the gun here and jump on over. We get another account of these events in Acts chapter 11, when Peter tells the brethren in Jerusalem about what happened. And when Peter tells the brethren in Jerusalem, he says that Cornelius said, down in Acts chapter 11 and uh, verse 13, Cornelius told us how he had seen the angel standing in his house and saying, send to Joppa and fetch Simon, whose surname is Peter, who shall speak unto you words whereby you shall be saved, you and all your house. It wasn't, you've already been saved. It wasn't, your prayer has saved you. It was, your prayer's been heard. Now, you need to listen to Peter, and he will preach to you words whereby you shall be saved. Yeah, and uh, by the way, I just want to remind, if you're coming on now, uh, we are talking about, if there was ever an account in the Bible where somebody was a sinner and they prayed and God heard that prayer. So we're in Acts 10 and 11 talking about Cornelius. Mm-hmm. Um, so just by way of reminder. Oh, and also before we forget, if you have any questions or comments or anything you would like to add, you can drop a comment in the Facebook um, feed there. I'm watching it. I've got it right here on my left. Or if you'd like to call in and uh, add a comment or ask a question, you can go to the Zoom app uh, and dial in that way or if you're on uh following us on biblequest.tv that might be another way you can access it and and do a live call in so just by way of reminder i have a question chase yeah so you just said something about can a sinner how how did you word that question that we're talking the topic you said something about the sinner praying to god (laughs) yeah will god hear the the prayer of a sinner and does the bible have an account of that okay so can you define a sinner yeah, a sinner, I would define as somebody who is actively sinning and going against God's will for what he's outlined in his scriptures. Somebody who is actively choosing to do their own will rather than the will of God. They are sinning, they are transgressing against God's word. Um, they are in their iniquity. That's how I would describe a sinner. So somebody, the Bible, Doesn't the Bible normally talk about sinners generally in that sense? Yeah, that's right. Somebody who transgresses against God's law. Occasionally, you'll see, for example, in Luke, you'll have the description of the woman who was a sinner, and that's in the language coming from the perspective of of the people. She was a notorious sinner. Even in the eyes of most people, she was considered notoriously sinful by people who would not necessarily have considered themselves sinful. But what you've just described as a sinner, really all of us end up in that situation when we sin, which we all have done. In Ephesians chapter 2, Paul writes to people who are now Christians, but he says uh, that they had been dead in their trespasses and sins. In Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1, and we already mentioned Romans three twenty-three: all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Well, this, this, this may be ahead of where, where you want to go with this, Jeff, because uh, as usual, we don't do scripts on these Bible talk shows. But would you... Chase, identify then Cornelius as that definition of a sinner? I would. Um, Although he was God-fearing, he had not obeyed the gospel, and he had not had his sins washed away in baptism. Uh, And that's actually what I was going to show everyone later. At at the end of chapter 10, 
um, whenever. Before you show us that, I do want you to show us that. But that's a good point that, that we're hitting on here. A lot of people think I'm a good person. Well, Cornelius was a good person. He was devout. He gave alms, was generous to the poor. He was praying to God. But he needed to be saved. Saved from what? He was in a state of being lost, lost in his sins. So I think that's an important point. But go ahead and show us now, Chase, what you were going to show us there. Well, and again, it's helpful, too, to see chapter 10. This is just as much of a learning experience for Cornelius as it was for Peter. Because Mm -hmm. one of the things Peter says in chapter 10 and verse 35, but in every nation, the man who fears him and does what is right is welcome to him. And when you come down to verse 44, while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who were listening to the message and all the circumcised believers. So the Jews who came with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. And they were hearing them speaking with the tongues and exalting God. And Peter said in verse 47, Surely no one can refuse water for these to be baptized, who have received the Holy Spirit just as we did, can he? And he ordered them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to stay on for a few days. And so they they were baptized. And if we're looking at the biblical idea of baptism... And, we, and, of course, that means we got to take into account everything that's happened before Acts 10. Yeah. We know why they were baptized. And, and what's the pattern, guys? What was baptism for up until this point and, and even after? Well, back in Acts 2, it, as the gospel was first preached after Jesus has ascended into heaven, Peter were con- people were convicted of their sin, and they cried out, what must we do? And verse 38, Peter responded, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. I noticed that language, in the name of Jesus Christ, which is the same thing that he says here in Acts 10.48. He commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. So we know what that baptism is for. Acts 2.38 said being baptized in the name of Jesus Christ is for the forgiveness of sins. Yeah, that's exactly right. And that's the point I'm simply trying to make is, Cornelius, even though he was fearing God and he was praying this prayer to God, he was still lost in his sins. But the way God answered his prayer, and Drew pointed this out earlier, was he sent somebody to show him what he must do. Yeah. Um, and I think it's, this might be a good segue as well. Do we have another example of that? You know, I, let's do go to another example. But before we do this, a couple more things I want to say. Okay, about yeah, this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he prayed a prayer. That didn't save him. The Holy Spirit came up on him. Mm-hmm. That didn't save him. He would hear words in response to the prayer. God sent him a messenger. He would hear words whereby he would be saved. What were the words? Well, in Acts chapter 10, in verse 36, the word which he sent unto the children of Israel, Peter's preaching this message to Cornelius and his household, and Peter says, the word which he sent unto the children of Israel, which God sent, preaching good tidings or good news of peace, peace between man and God. That requires our sins to be eliminated for us to be at peace with God. That peace, Peter said, is by Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. All right, so that's what Peter needed to hear, uh, Cornelius needed to hear. He needed to hear the message of peace with God through Jesus Christ. Then how does one become a part of Jesus Christ, or how does one get connected with Jesus Christ? How does one have peace with God through Jesus Christ? It's not by prayer. It's not by the Holy Spirit uh, coming upon us. It is by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, the death of Jesus on the cross, which takes away our sin. And, uh, and how do we become a part of that? Being baptized into 
Christ's death, to use Paul's words in Romans, the sixth chapter. And so here, Peter commands Cornelius in his household to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. That's the words that, that Cornelius would hear, and that's when he is forgiven of his sins. That's when he's saved. So you were going to ask if there's another passage where we see something similar, somebody who is lost in sin and prays, right? Yeah, that's right. What, what comes to your all's mind? Uh, Saul, Saul of Tarsus. Yeah, that's right. Uh, if you back up just a couple chapters to chapter 9, that's a, it's another place uh, where we see this very similar thing. And as Jeff pointed out, there were a lot of very similar things uh, going on between what happened with Saul and what happened with Cornelius. Uh, there were several turns at which we think maybe, oh, well, maybe Saul was saved here. Maybe he was saved here, but we later learned where Saul was actually saved. Um, but guys, someone want to take us through the story there in chapter 9? Well, you've got Saul, uh, who is in verse 1, yet breathing slaughter, uh, threatening and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord. So at this, at this point, we're not to the story of Cornelius yet. The floodgates haven't been opened of the Gentiles coming into the kingdom. Uh, Christians are primarily Jews who have come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah. But some of the Jews who did not believe that Jesus was the Messiah uh, were very antagonistic to the idea of accepting Jesus as the Messiah and very antagonistic toward those Jews who were becoming believers in the Christ. Chief among them is Saul, and he has a letter from the high priest, the highest official in Judaism, authorizing him to go even to other countries and to go into synagogues where there would be Jews and arrest them and bring them bound back to Jerusalem where they could be tried and perhaps even put to death. And so he is on his way to Damascus, the capital city of Syria, to look for these Jews who believe in Jesus as the Messiah. And while he's on the way, a great light shines. Verse 4, he fell upon the earth and he heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And Saul said in verse 5, Who are you, Lord? And the response was, I am Jesus, whom you persecute. So this is interesting because obviously Saul doesn't believe Jesus has been raised from the dead. Otherwise, he wouldn't be denying that Jesus is the Christ. And uh, yet here is Jesus, who's supposedly dead, speaking to him. And several passages say Saul actually saw him. And so now... Saul is told what he needs to do. Verse 6, rise into the city, and it'll be told you what you must do. I'll let you pick it up from there. Well, you mean he wasn't saved at that point when he had the vision of Jesus Christ? No, he's not. As a matter of fact, even after this, he's not saved when he starts praying. Because that's, that's the next thing that happens. He goes on into Damascus, and he's three days without food or, or does it say food or drink? He's fasting. Uh, apparently, he not only believes that, that who he has just seen is indeed Jesus the Christ, but he realizes he's in trouble and he's fasting. Plus and he's he, blind. He, say what? Plus he's blind. Plus he's blind. Yeah, I didn't mention that. Physically. Meanwhile, there's a disciple in Damascus and the Lord has appeared to him and it's given him a message saying, you need to go talk to this Saul. So Ananias, this disciple in Damascus, is going to go talk to Saul, but, but, but he's hesitant. The Lord says to Ananias uh, in verse 11, the Lord said to him, Arise, go to the street which is called Straight, 
and inquire of the house of Judas for one named Saul, a man of Tarsus, for behold, he's doing what? He's praying. He's praying. So, so here we got it. And that's what we're talking about today. Sinners yeah. praying here. You've got this man who's been persecuting the disciples of Jesus. Now he understands, Oh, Jesus really is the Christ and he is fasting and he is praying, but is he saved? No, not from our understanding. If he's not saved at this point, if we keep going through the story, Jeff, uh, we see Ananias, he comes to him, he talks with him for a little bit. He, he talks about how Saul, uh, according to the Lord, is going to be a chosen instrument uh, to bear his name before the Gentiles. And if you get all the way down to verse 17, look what happens after it says, Ananias departs and enters the house. And after laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you are coming, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And he regains his sight. Now, let me ask, was he saved at that point? Interestingly not, because yeah. Saul himself, who later is, of course, known as the Apostle Paul, tells about this event over in Acts, the 22nd chapter, and he tells us more specifically what Ananias said when Ananias came to him. This is after Saul has already seen Jesus, He's already been praying, and, and what would you be praying if you were Saul and you'd been persecuting the followers of Jesus, and suddenly Jesus appears to you and you realize he is for real? What would you uh, be praying? Please, for, yeah, please forgive me. I am so sorry. I, exactly. I, I think I would be praying something about like this right here. Yes, 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 yes. And, but three days later, Ananias comes to him, and in verse 16 says, this is Acts 22, verse 16, and now why do you tarry? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. Apparently, Saul's sins were not yet washed away, even though he had been praying and even though he had seen Jesus. And so here, here's the point we're simply trying to make to everybody. There are two occasions where there were sinners who were praying and God clearly heard that prayer. Now, there's an overcorrection that is sometimes made that it, it, that it stated God never or God does not hear the prayer of a sinner. Yep, I've heard people say that. Why might people say that? It, and now we've looked at this account of Saul and Cornelius, but if you set those aside and try to write those off of, uh, as extraordinary circumstances, why might somebody say, uh, that, that God does not hear the prayer of a sinner. Because John 9.31 says, we know that God hears not sinners. Oh, no. Well, why don't, why don't we go back and look at that then? Okay. Well, that we've got a contradiction nervous. here. We've got a contradiction, Chase. <laughs> All right. John, the ninth chapter. Um, and, uh, again, it's just, I think, helpful to go back and ask um, – who it is that, that said that, um, starting at verse 24. Uh, of course, we're in the, the middle of this story where this blind guy is healed, mm -hmm. and they're trying to figure out, well, how is this possible? Who is it that did this? Um, in verse 24, it says, So a second time they called the man who had been blind and said to him, Give glory to God. We know that this man was a sinner. And he then answered, Whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. So they said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? And he answered them, I told you already, and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? You do not want to become his disciples too, do you? And they reviled him and said, you are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. 
we know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he is from. And the man answered and said to them, well, here is an amazing thing that though that you do not know where he is from. And yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not hear sinners, but if anyone is God fearing and does his will, he hears him. So that is a, oftentimes where people run to, to show us God does not hear the prayer of the sinner. Yeah. But guys, what's going on here? So you've got a man here who knows that some great miracle has been done for him. He does not yet know who the Christ is. After the part you just read, Jesus uh, encounters the man again and says, do you believe on the Son of God? And this blind man who made the statement, God does not hear sinners, answered and said, well, who is he, Lord, that I may believe on him? And then Jesus said to him, you have both seen him and he it is that speaks with you. So at the point that this man makes this statement, it's not an inspired statement. It's not an apostle of Jesus Christ making the statement. It's not a prophet of God making the statement. John, who records this, is telling us what this blind man who doesn't know about Jesus yet has said to the, to the, to the Jewish leaders, The Jewish leaders are trying to make Jesus out to be a sinner. And the blind man who can now see at least has enough sense about him to say, look, the fact that I can see says something about who Jesus is. God doesn't hear sinners. And yet Jesus was able to, uh, this man, whoever he is, was able to give me sight. So, So I'm not ready to put him in the category of somebody who is alien to God or rebellious against God. God's working through him. And I would go so far as to say, this man makes a general statement that reflects a truth that we do see in Scripture, and that is sin separates people from God. Back in the Old Testament, in Isaiah 59, verses 1 and 2, um, the prophet said, Behold, the Lord's hand is not so short that it cannot save, neither is his ear so dull that it cannot hear, but your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear." Adam and Eve were expelled from the Garden of Eden because of their sin. And they might have been crying, oh, no, please, we don't want to be kicked out of the garden. But God cast them out. So there's a truth here that this man is speaking. That is, sin separates us from God. And obviously, Jesus wasn't separated from God because he was able to do these miracles. But we shouldn't take his statement as just a universal um, truth that if you are in sin, God's not even aware that you're praying. Yeah. And I also think there is something to be said about that latter part of verse 31, where he does make a, a bit of a caveat. He says, we, of course, he says, we know that God does not hear sinners, but if anyone is God-fearing and does his will, he hears him. Mm-hmm. And uh, the two examples we looked at earlier, Saul and Cornelius, fit both of those categories. I'm also reminded Psalm 145 in verse 17 the Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his deeds. It says that the Lord is near to all who call upon him, to all who call upon him in truth. He will fulfill the desire of those who fear him. He will also hear their cry and will save them. Might clarify one thing that you said, both Saul and Cornelius could be described by this language. If any man be a worshiper of God and do his will, him he hears. In the case of Cornelius, you've got a man who is described as devout. Uh, he doesn't know about, he, he hasn't heard the gospel of Jesus Christ yet. In the case of Saul, you've got a man actively persecuting the disciples of Jesus, uh, kicking against the goad, 
to, to borrow the expression um, that the Lord himself used with respect to Saul. So what would you say about that? Well, um, did you say your version says, and as a worshiper of God? Yeah, in okay. John nine thirty one. Okay, very good. So mine says, if anyone is God-fearing and does his will, he hears yeah. him. But in either case, of course, Saul was not doing the will of God whenever the, the light came down. But I'm but, talking um, about, at the, at, at the point that Saul was praying, I would say he was doing everything he could to come closer to God's will. I would agree. And Paul yeah. even makes the statement that even when he was persecuting the disciples of Jesus, he was doing what he thought he ought to do. He thought he ought, as a follower, as an individual trying to follow God, he thought he ought to be opposing Jesus Christ. Right. He, he, thought, they were, he thought they were blasphemers, and so he wanted to correct and destroy blasphemers. Yeah. But, he, but the thing is, Jesus came to seek and save the lost. Jesus came to save sinners. That's the condition we're in. When, when we appeal to God in the, in, in the condition of our sin, if we are, what did Jesus say? Ask and it shall be given. Knock and it shall be opened. Seek and you shall find. So the individual in his sin doesn't know the truth, seeking truth, wanting to know, he can make an appeal to God, and God hears that prayer, but the prayer doesn't save him. And the work, the Holy Spirit coming upon Cornelius didn't save him. What saves us is the blood of Jesus Christ. And the, and the Bible teaches that, that it is baptism that puts us in connection with the death of Jesus Christ. That is the thing that saves us. So when people talk about just saying some prayer and saving us uh, or being saved by that, Really, whether they know it or not, they're taking the death of Jesus Christ out of the equation of our salvation. They think that because you say the prayer, somehow you're saved by the death of Jesus Christ, but prayer is not what connects us to the death. So let me ask a very real question that I'm sure maybe some viewers are having. Let's say maybe we have some viewers who are not Christians um, in the way that we've talked about it today. Somebody who has repented of their sins and have been baptized for the forgiveness of those sins. Yeah. Let's say they, they type in or they call in and they ask, well, is God hearing my prayer? What do we say? Oh, I got a feeling that you uh, have uh, Simon the Sorcerer in mind. Oh, that's actually a good place to go. That's actually not what I had in mind. I was legitimately asking a question, but Acts 8 would be a good place to go. <laughs> okay. Yeah, so let's go All over right. there. All right. <laughs> Um, okay, we, we have a, a question or a comment from a viewer. I, it may just be a viewer saying hello. So Yeah, yeah that's correct. Yeah. Thanks to Moena for sending us a greeting. If you do have comments or questions, please feel free to send them to us by way of the Facebook comments section, or if you're using BibleQuest, you can click on the little Q&A uh, tab there, and uh, you can send us your question that way. Okay, go ahead. Oh, you want me to take it, sir? Yeah, oh, I'll take it. I, okay. Take it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. So in Acts, the eighth chapter, uh, we have an individual here, Simon the sorcerer, who is baptized into Christ. The text is Philip, uh, because of the persecution, when Saul was persecuting Christians, these disciples of Jesus Christ have been spread out from Jerusalem, and that includes Philip. So he's gone to Samaria, and he they're preaching and and validating his message by doing miracles. He's gotten an audience. People are, are seeing the things that he's doing, and they're believing on Jesus and being baptized, including a man who had been a sorcerer and who had previously uh, given 
himself out as having some great power of God, and people had really been attracted to him. But now his works pale by comparison to Philip's miracles. And so even he himself believes uh, the message that Philip is preaching. And it says in verse 13 of Acts 8, Simon also himself believed, and being baptized, he continued with Philip. And beholding signs and great miracles wrought, he was amazed. But then his heart goes the wrong direction, doesn't it? Yeah, he wants he wants that power that they have where they can... They give that power to others. He wants that power, that, he yeah, so, that miraculous power to others. Yeah, after these people have been baptized, then um, Peter and John come up from Jerusalem and lay hands on the people who've been baptized, giving them the Holy Spirit. Um, and probably what that means here is giving them the ability to do the kinds of miracles that, that Philip has been able to do so that they can go about and validate the message that they preach to others. Simon sees that. He sees that the Holy Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands in verse 18, and he offered them money, saying, Give me also this power that on whomsoever I lay my hands, he may receive the Holy Spirit. He's wanting to buy the ability to shell out the Holy Spirit. And, uh, of course, when you think about wanting to buy that ability and then you think about his past as a sorcerer who had a reputation as being some great miracle worker and probably made a living at it, you can see his heart has gone back in the direction of his former life where he's, he's wanting to buy something and perhaps make himself great in the eyes of people or maybe even make money at it. Peter says, verse 20, your silver perish with you because you have thought to obtain the gift of God with money. You have neither part nor lot in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. Here he is. I can't, this is a situation I think you kind of brought up, Chase, an individual who's believed and has been baptized into Christ and has turned back into sin, and now what does he need to do? And Peter tells Simon to repent, therefore, of this thy wickedness and pray the Lord, if perhaps the thought of thy heart shall be forgiven thee. Of course, it goes on, and Simon asked Peter, will you pray for me? And so we, I would understand then that presumably Peter did so, and Simon was forgiven. You notice he also didn't say, you pray to the Lord that you get this gift. No, he didn't. He's not going to get it, no. He had neither part nor lot. It was just the apostles that would have the ability to give those gifts. But but I think the point to be made here is now we've got somebody who is who's been baptized into Christ, and in that status, he has the right to appeal to God for forgiveness of sins through the blood of Jesus Christ. He's already been baptized into Christ. He's already been connected with the death of Jesus Christ. And so on that basis, he can pray to God and appeal for forgiveness of sins. This is different than somebody who's never been baptized into Christ, doesn't have that relationship with God, saying a prayer. Yeah. And so I guess, I guess another side to this would be if somebody is not a Christian, and maybe they're not praying for forgiveness, but let's say they're praying for their mother's cancer to go away, or they're, they're praying for something like that. Mm -hmm. What would you say to them? Is God hearing their prayer if they have not obeyed the gospel? That's a tough question, uh, Chase. You know, God God may respond. You, you, I think of the the men going to or the men of Nineveh when Jonah went to to Nineveh and he um, 
told them that they were going to be destroyed in 40 days. And they repented and uh, in sackcloth and ashes. Um, and I can't remember if it mentioned specifically them praying, but, the, but nonetheless, God acknowledged uh, their, their turn in that form. It doesn't say they were saved from their sins, but the destruction that was coming was something God put off for decades. So is it possible that God could see somebody who is uh, concerned about a loved one who has cancer and they reach out to God? Is it possible that God could say, you know, this is part of how I'm going to uh, reach this person. This is part of how I'm going to affect this person's heart so this person will have an opportunity to hear the gospel as Peter heard the gospel, as, as Cornelius heard the gospel from Peter. I don't, I don't know. God might do that. I can't say God wouldn't do that. What I, what I will say is the, the idea that God doesn't hear sinners doesn't mean God is unaware. Exactly. And I, yeah. and I will also say that God wants us all to be saved, and God works in people's lives as, as he did in New Testament times to see to it that they have opportunity to hear the gospel. Knock and it'll be open to you. Seek and you'll find. Um, so, so what exactly God does in those situations? I don't know. Yeah. And so, I would Chase, encourage, Oh, go ahead, Drew. Sorry. Chase, I was going to, I thought you were going to go into the other direction. What about a Christian? Well, we looked at Simon, but what about a, a Christian who is it possible that a Christian could have his prayers hindered? Is there, there is there's a scripture that tells us, right? That. Yeah, that's right. Over in first Peter, the second chapter, if I'm not mistaken. Um, the third chapter, verse seven. Third chapter, yes, thank you. <clears throat> um, but real quick, too, before, before we turn there for just a second, I would like to encourage anybody, if you're listening to our podcast today and you're, you're not a Christian in the way the New Testament talks about it, repenting of your sins and being baptized, and if you're struggling with this question, is God hearing my prayer? Um, again, Jeff and I cannot answer that, that question for you, but we can encourage you. This is it. This is the sign God's giving you. Take, take the opportunity now to, to seek out um, a local church or, or somebody who understands these things who will help you repent and be baptized. I, I, will, I will say this. We have a passage like 1 John chapter 5 and verse 13 and 14. These things I've written to you that you may know that you have eternal life, even unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God. And this is the boldness which we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions which we've asked of him. The point I'm getting at here, this is a passage written to people who are Christians, who are God's people, and they have an assurance that God hears their prayers. People who are not in Christ don't have that assurance that when I appeal to God, that God is going to hear my prayer in this same sense. I don't believe... I'm not using here in the sense of be aware of. God's aware of everything. But uh, I, God's people have an assurance that God uh, hears their prayers in the sense that he listens to their prayers. Um, and he heeds their prayers. And the answer is not always that we get exactly what we're looking, we want, but we'll get what we need. Yeah. But the individual who is not in Christ, I don't believe he has that guarantee, that assurance that he has uh, he can count on the fact that God is going to heed my prayer. Right. Um, so c coming back to something Drew brought up, if somebody is a Christian, is it possible for their prayers to be hindered? First Peter 3 and verse 7 says, You husbands in the same way live with your wives in an understanding way, as with someone weaker, since she is a woman, and show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life, so that your prayers 
will not be hindered. That's a pretty bold statement. Uh, and anytime I think a New Testament writer says something like this, it should really wake us up. Uh, it's almost as startling as talking about the one who doesn't provide for his own is worse than an unbeliever. I mean, that, that, that's another just really startling passage, I think. But, uh, I mean, this is, this is real. If, if husbands are not dealing with their wives in, in an understanding way, um, they're not right before God. And God is not hearing that prayer. Their prayer is hindered. You got to fix that. And this is a huge, huge wake-up call, I think, for husbands. You know, he was also, he was also uh, James brings up something similar, too. Uh, he was writing to Christians, and in James 4, starting in verse 2, he says, You lust and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and war. Now, obviously, he describes earlier how, how you do these things. They're not physically uh, doing them. They're acting as if they're, well, he says you're fighting and you're warring, so they're separate. They're, they're uh, the divisions between them and then he says you do not have because you do not ask and you ask and do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your on your pleasures adulterers and adulteresses do you not know that friendship with the world is enemy with god whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of god so they're asking for personal selfish reasons as if god's a, a vending machine you just oh, go to him and he'll give you all the time <laughs> I think that's the concept a lot of people have. God is a vending machine. You put your quarter in, you say your prayer, and out, out pops exactly which one you wanted. I, this is the choice I wanted, and out, out it pops. It's not that way. No, not that way. You know, before we get to the end of the webcast today, there's one passage I'd like to, to bring up, and it's in Luke, the 18th chapter. Yeah, because... That's perfect. Someone commented and brought that up, and I was going to go there next. So that's oh, perfect. Oh, great. Okay. Yeah, you go right ahead. All right. Well, um, I'll tell you what. Read the comment from the viewer so that I can be sure and address this in view of the viewer's question or comment. Yeah. So um, Ben and Stacy Walker, they point out Luke 18, 13, and 14 would be a good text to consider as well. Yes, good. Yeah. So, so this is where Jesus is addressing the self-righteous attitudes of the Pharisees. In fact, the text of the story is introduced in verse 9. He said this uh, in regard to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous. Their, their confidence was in their own doings, that they thought that would justify them. And so he tells a story about two men who went up into the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee and the other's a publican. And verse 11 says, the Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself. God, I thank you that I'm not as the rest of men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. God, I thank you that I'm such a wonderful person. <laughs> and then you've got the publican. Oh, he goes on. The, the Pharisee says, I fast twice in the week. I give tithes of all that I get. So he's very proud of himself and what he is. On the other hand, the publican, a tax collector, and, and tax collectors in, in that culture had a reputation often for being extortioners. Whether this guy was or not doesn't matter, but he was thought of as not righteous. And so the publican standing afar off would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote his breast saying, God, be thou merciful to me, a sinner. So here is somebody praying a prayer that kind of sounds like the sinner's prayer that you posted at the beginning of the, the webcast. And Jesus says, I say to you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone that exalts himself shall be humbled, and he that humbles himself shall be exalted. I'd make two observations. One, Jesus' point is not at what point are you saved, whether when you pray or when you're baptized, Jesus' point is two different mindsets. The guy who trusts in himself or the guy who acknowledges his sin and his need for forgiveness. Uh, I guess two more points. The second point is 
that this guy is not somebody who is outside of God's people. This is a Jew. He is a part of the covenant people. Uh, that's as opposed to somebody today who is an alien sinner, we might say, who's alienated from, from the commonwealth of Israel, alienated from Christ. But also, how were Jews saved? Self-righteousness says they were saved because they were Jews. Self-righteousness says they were saved because they kept the law. And that's what Jesus is arguing against. But how Jews who would be saved would be saved would be through the blood of Jesus Christ. We go to Romans, the third chapter, and, and Paul talks about um, this, the blood of Christ having uh, effect in regard to the sins done aforetime as well as at this present season. The blood of Christ is the means whereby Jews before Christ and we after Christ, or all people before Christ who are saved and those after Christ are saved. It's all by the blood of Christ. And how do we come into contact with the blood of Christ? How do we come into contact with the death of Jesus Christ? Well, we do it through being baptized, but basically it's summed up in the word faith, putting our trust in God. And the New Testament talks about uh, the fact that, you know, we need to be baptized into Christ's death, and that's how we put our trust in God. We got a comment from one of our viewers saying, I'm not baptized. Let's close, guys, uh, with this observation so that, so that it'll be very clear for our viewers. I'm going to go to Romans, the sixth chapter, and I'm going to read uh, what Paul says there in Romans, the sixth chapter, and I'll start in verse two. Um, Romans six, verse two. We who died to sin, so Paul is talking about a we, and that we is Christians. We who died to sin, how shall we any longer live therein? What his point is, is if we've died to that old sinful way of life, don't go walking in, in it anymore. But then the question is, what do you mean died to sin? When did we die to sin? Verse 3, or are you ignorant that all we who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him through baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we also might walk in newness of life. Paul's point here is to say, once we become a Christian, once we become a part of Christ's death, once we put to death that old man of sin, we shouldn't go on living in those sins. But implicit in that teaching is the idea that baptism which is when we become a part of Christ's death, is the turning point. That's when we go from being the old man that's now dead to beginning the new life that's in Christ. If you've not been baptized, then you, you, may, have, you may have believed in Jesus. You may have changed some things about your life, but that's not going to save you. It's the death of Jesus Christ that's going to save you. And Paul says we're baptized into Christ's death. So, Moena, I appreciate you listening to the webcast today. Uh, Chase has gotten you our contact information. If you have further questions, we'd love to talk with you. But, but you know, there may not be as much attention given to baptism in many churches as there should be. But in the Bible, that's the point where we become in contact with the death of Jesus Christ that saves us. Final comments, anybody? Uh, wouldn't you say that there are a lot of examples in Acts that talks about Christians being saved at that point of baptism, but there is no example of anyone being saved by just praying. Right. I would say that. All right, guys. Thank you. Thank you very much. And um, we will look to see everybody next week, Wednesday at 3 p.m., Lord willing. And if you have comments or questions, feel free to send us an email or a message by Facebook during the week. Uh, thank you, guys. We'll sign off. Thanks, guys. Thank you.